Well, I want to welcome everybody here today and those on the stream, those watching on TV, all of our multi-sites as well. We're always glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family. I've got Andrew Poe up here next to me. And for those of you who don't know, I think they know Andrew. Uh, for those of you who are just now coming out from under a rock, Andrew is moving to California tomorrow. That's when you're taking off, right? And uh, he's going to be an associate pastor in a church there in California. He's the only guy I know that wants to move to California right now. But uh, that doesn't surprise me because Andrew's the kind of guy who just wants to kick down the gates of hell. And I want to thank Andrew for 13 incredible years here at our church. We will miss you, Poe. Mr. Popo, we will miss you an awful lot. But uh, you, you pray for him, okay? Uh, they don't realize what they're getting in California. The tornado is going to be unleashed on that church that he's heading to. And uh, I'm pretty excited to see what God's going to do through this young man. So let's pray right now for Andrew and his family. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for 13 just great years of getting to do ministry side by side. Lord, for the leadership that he's brought us, for Lord, for the messages that he's spoken, Lord, for the love that he's shown, not only for you, but for each person. Lord, we're grateful. And we pray, Lord, that you would give him and his family a straight path to California. Lord, that you would bless him there. Lord, that he would be everything that that church needs him to be. Lord, that you would use him and stretch him in ways that he never even dreamed he could ever be used or stretched. Lord, I know one thing about Andrew is all he wants to do is bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I know that this young man lives his life to one day hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So give him strength, give him wisdom, give him courage, give him discernment. Lord, he goes with our blessing, and we know that this is your good, pleasing, and perfect will for his life. And Lord, we're just so grateful that 13 years of his life has been shared with us. Bless him as he goes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate you, man. All right. We are continuing our series today called Pressure Point. Take a look at this. That was impressive right there. 
I'm sure the ice was mostly melted. You know what I mean? That's what that was right there. But we are in the middle of our little study called the uh, book of James called Pressure Point. And I think if we could summarize this book, we would summarize it this way. James's point is that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you should actually get around to actually following Jesus. There should be a difference in our behavior compared to those who don't follow after Jesus. But here's what we find in one study after another is that Christians today don't seem to have any behavioral differences or very slight behavioral differences to those who don't even follow Jesus. I, I came across a survey this past week. George Gallup came out with it years ago. It's disturbing to be honest with you. What they did was they broke down Christianity in several different categories. They talked to people who were followers of Christ. They talked to people who weren't followers of Christ to see based upon that category who was doing these things and who wasn't doing these things. One of the categories was on serving. Who do you think serves the most? Do you think that maybe those who follow Christ serve more? Or do you think those who don't have a relationship with Jesus serve more? We're going to do a little survey right here ourselves, all right? So you're going to raise your hands and play along at home, play along at the multi-sites as well. How many think that Christians serve more than those who don't follow Christ? Let's stretch your hands up real. Most of you have no faith in Christians whatsoever. There's very few hands. (laughs) (laughs) That was disturbing right there. How many think those who don't follow Christ serve more? Oh, there's a whole bunch of hands that went up. Well, let's see statistically what it is. Are you ready for this? People who say they follow Christ, 29% volunteer. Those who don't follow Christ, 27% volunteer. So for all you who didn't think Christians were very good, we win that one, okay? We win. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take the victory. It's a whopping 2%. It's pretty pathetic, isn't it? You know what disturbs me about this statistic? That means 71% don't. 71% of people who say they follow Christ don't follow him in the area of servanthood, and they admit it. They don't have a ministry. They don't take up the towel. They don't wash feet like Jesus washed feet. Jesus said, hey, the Son of Man came to serve rather than to be served. Uh, Most Christians... They say they follow Jesus, but they never get around to actually following him. Let's see what the next category is. It's on generosity. Who who do you think gives more to their campaigns? Or who do you think gives more to the things that they think are important? Who gives more to the church? Who gives more frequently to the church or to nonprofit organizations or some other organization propagating whatever thought or ideology they want to have? How many think that Christians are the ones who give more on a, on a, on a basis, on a monthly basis? Anybody? Okay. Several of you. you haven't given up hope yet, have you? That's good. How many think all this, the people who don't follow Christ, they give more to their causes and to their projects and to all those things? Okay. A bunch of you think that too. Well, let's see who won this one. Well, people who say they follow Christ was 47% donate. Those who don't follow Christ was 48. We lost. And what's really disturbing is 53% admitted in the survey they don't give a dime to the kingdom of God. They walk by that collection box week after week. They ignore the information that's there on the website to give assent to the kingdom of God, to the message of Jesus Christ, to poor people, to the mission of the church. They give more to their causes than we give to the cause of Christ. That's some messed up stuff right there, wouldn't you say? That's wiggity-whack, as I would say. Let me me give you the, the next one. Horoscopes. Who do you think checks their horoscopes more? 
How many think, play along now of all the campuses, play along at home, raise your hand. How many think Christians look at their horoscopes more than people who don't follow Christ? Okay, not very many of you. How many think those who don't follow Christ check their horoscopes more than Christians? Okay, you ready for the result? It's a tie. And the Old Testament warns against Christians ever doing any of this. And yet, we claim to follow Jesus, but we never get around to actually following him. And that's what this next section that we're going to look at today is all about. James is having some issues with his church. Remember, they're persecuted. They're scattered throughout the ends of the earth. And, and, and they're struggling just a little bit. And one of the things that they're struggling with is they're struggling with favoritism. They're, they're struggling with prejudice. Let's take a look at this passage. It says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So I guess people back in James's time were treating people differently based upon their portfolio. So if a rich person came in, they oh, here's a good seat for you, a seat of honor right here. We're so glad that you're here. They would just go all crazy for that person. But if a poor guy came in, they said, oh, you can stand over here, you know, by the bathroom. That's where you can be, just someplace over in that spot. Just go ahead and sit down. Just sit down so nobody can really see who, who you are. You know what's sad about the human condition? And this is probably true of every single person, if we're honest, is that all of us have a list, a list of people that we want to be near, a list of people that we don't want to be. We, we have a list, don't we, of people that we think are worthy of the kingdom of God and then those people that we think are worthy of us you know, kind of putting up our nose a little bit and letting them know that we believe that they're a little less than, right? Like they're not worthy of the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. It's a dirty little secret, isn't it? But we seem to treat people just a little bit differently depending on the social setting, depending on their social standing. There are so many different ways that favoritism and prejudice raises our ugly head. One is what we call financial prejudice. There are people, I don't know if you're one of them, that treats people differently based upon how much money another person makes. Or, or how much their portfolio is, or, or what kind of house that they live in, or what kind of neighborhood that they live in. Or what kind of car that they drive. And we've all done this, right? When you see someone driving a smart car, do you think they're smart? Do you? Do you really think they're smart? When you see someone drive down the road in a Prius, what do you think of that? Anything? Anything at all? Because from your reaction, I'm thinking some of you think some things about the people in the Priuses, right? I have a truck. It's a Chevrolet Colorado. I, I love my truck. But it's not one of the biggest trucks that's out there on the road. It's one of those mid-sized trucks. Might be even on the smaller side. And there are times when I'm driving down the road and I feel a little bit judged from the bigger trucks driving by me, you know? It's like they're saying, oh, look at him with this tiny little toy truck. That's what he's got right there with the tiny little toy truck. And they drive by in their little F-350, you know, blah, 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 blah. Now, I love it when they're on my back of my, on my bumper. I love that an awful lot. Just like, 
just to let me know that I'm not manly to drive a truck as manly as theirs. Well, my truck's manly, okay? What do you think when you see someone driving a sports car? Do you think they might be compensating for something? You know, I don't know what's going on over there with that particular person, I tell you. <laughs> We've all done this, haven't we? When I was a kid, we, we, I, did, I grew up in a very small home, about 1,200 square feet. And all my friends, they lived in houses that were a lot bigger than mine. And I would go over to their house, and uh, their rooms were bigger than mine, and their entertainment stuff was greater than mine, and... They didn't want to hang out at my house. They didn't want to hang out in my small little room. No, they, they, they wanted me to come over to their house. I, I remember pulling up and, you know, and people would say things, kind of whisper things about, oh, look how small that house is compared to everybody else's house. We treat people differently based upon how much money they make and what they own and what they possess. Let, let me give you another one. There's appearance prejudice. There's appearance prejudice. We all know this, right? Beautiful people, they get more perks. Beautiful people, they get more special treatment. They get the seats of honor. They, they, they get the second chances, right? The beautiful people. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might not be one of the beautiful people. <laughs> we judge based upon someone's appearance, don't we? But the clothes that they wear. You ever seen those pictures of people who shop at Walmart? Has anybody ever seen those on the internet? She's seen it for sure. Yeah, that's hilarious. Need I say more? Oh, you shop at Walmart. Oh, you shop at Target. Oh, you're an Amazon person. You have Amazon Prime, you know. It's like we have this different social economic thing about where we even shop, where we buy our clothes, what kind of clothes we have on, what kind of shoes that we wear. And we'll judge someone based upon the way they, they cut their hair or the number of tattoos that are on their body. You see somebody and, you know, it's a young person and their hair is covering their face. And, you know, you can't even see their eyes. And you're like, what do I have here right now, you know? <laughs> is this a sheepdog or is this a human being, right? And you have preconceived ideas, preconceived notions when you see people. I think everybody is a profiler, to be honest with you. We, we do this, don't we? There, there was this guy who was a cowboy and he went to this church. And uh, he'd never been there before. And so we had on a... A cowboy hat, and he had on some dirty overalls. He didn't think anything of it. But this is one of those small little churches where they cared more about what a person was wearing than they cared about the content of their heart. You know what I'm talking about? And so they were aghast. Oh, I cannot believe that he is here wearing a cowboy hat and dirty overalls. Oh, it was quite the scandal that day. Well, the preacher pulled him aside at the end of the service and said, did you enjoy our service today? The cowboy said, as a matter of fact, I really did. He said, that's great. If you decide to come back, you might want to talk to Jesus about the kind of clothes you need to wear for next week. He said, all right, I'll do that. Well, sure enough, the cowboy came back the next week in the exact same pair of overalls at the exact same cowboy hat. Isn't that something? And the pastor, <laughs> the pastor pulled him aside. He said, did you talk to Jesus about what you should wear today? He said, I did. But Jesus said he didn't have a clue about what I should wear because he had never been to your church. <laughs> so we've got financial prejudice and appearance prejudice. We also have intellectual prejudice. People who are smart, they seem to be looked up to or not. Some people who are very smart, they're known as the geeks, they're known as the nerds, they're known as the weirdos. I never had that problem going to school. 
I had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson was my eighth grade teacher. She taught algebra. Worst teacher I ever sat under in my entire life. That woman couldn't teach algebra for nothing. I mean, she didn't have a clue how to teach algebra to an eighth grade kid. Why she was there, I have no idea. I think the only reason she was there was to humiliate us. Because here's what she would do. Whenever we would take a test, she would grade our test. And then she would pass the test out from the best grade all the way down to mine. Do you know how humiliating that was? And I'm certain Mrs. Johnson's dead, and I'm sure she's in hell. <laughs> I hope she's not. I probably went too far with that one, okay? I'm... Do you remember your ACT scores? And everything was based upon your ACT, and some of you took little ACT prep tests and all that stuff, and then we went to those rooms, and we, we took those tests, and then, you know, weeks later, we got our results, and then the day everybody got their results, what did everybody talk about up and down the hallway? What's your score? What's your score? Wasn't that a wonderful day? Now, for some of us, like me, who didn't score very well, guess what? That wasn't a great day. And then those who scored really well, they walked around as if they were all that, didn't they? Now they work for me. Uh. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. I don't even know where that came from. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. I'm sure of that. <laughs> so we treat people differently based upon their smarts, right? How many times you say, well, it's a few fries short of a Happy Meal, right? Or, or you say things, Christians say it like this, God bless you, right? That's what we say, which is translated for you dumb idiot. That's what that is. God bless you, you dumb idiot. That's what that is right there. How about this one? There's racial prejudice. This one never makes any sense to me, and yet we still have it, don't we? Uh, people treat people differently based upon the color of someone's skin. And what's interesting to me is that every white person right now is trying to get tanned. You understand what I'm saying? That makes sense. Is it because we're jealous? Is that what's going on with that? But, I mean, people literally won't have anything to do with somebody else that their skin color is different than their own. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the press has just eaten us alive with this one. And they're trying to make us more and more divisive by talking about this over and over and over again. you got to turn that crap, that stuff off. <laughs> Sorry, never should have said that. But you got to turn that stuff off. It's messing with you. And love, love, love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're supposed to do. Do you remember the movie that came out years ago called uh, Remember the Titans? That's a great movie. I love that movie. If you haven't seen that movie, a spoiler alert, I'm going to share a few things about it. But it's been out for like 20 years. So if you haven't watched it by now, what's the chances, you know, that today was the day that you were going to watch it? So it's, it's, a, it's a, based on a true story. And there's a small town, and they're integrating the schools with white students and black students together. And it's not, it's not going so well. And it kind of focuses in on the football team, and the football team is going off to camp. That's what they're doing. And so they're having all kinds of issues. They don't even talk to the other person. And the coach, who's a black coach, he makes them room together, gets them to sit at lunch together, to talk to each other, to get to know who that person really is. And over the course of the camp, the barriers begin to break down for most of them. Not for all, but, but for most of them. Well, then they get back to school, and the school's going crazy, and it's black versus white, and white versus black. It's just a, it's an absolute mess. But on that football field, that team is able to beat everybody. And they go throughout the entire year undefeated. They win the regional championship, and now they're getting ready to go to the state finals. This is it, the big game that they've waited all year for. 
And there was one friendship that the movie kind of zoomed in on, and it was the friendship between a white kid named Gary and a black young man named Julius. Well, on the night that they won regionals, Gary got into the car. Julius went off with his girlfriend. He got into the car, Gary did, pulled into an intersection, gets T-boned. Immediately is rushed to the hospital. He's paralyzed from the waist down. Well, this is before cell phones, so Julius is one of the last ones to get word. And when he gets to the hospital, because he's heard what's happened to his friend, he's devastated. The whole place is packed with the football team. And Gary's mom, who's had her own journey about racial prejudice comes up to him and says he doesn't want to see anybody else except for you. So this young man walks down the corridor of this hospital, opens up the door, and he sees his friend laying there in the bed. And there's a nurse tending to his care, and the nurse turns and she says, only family is, is able to be in here. And Gary, without missing a beat, says, don't you see the family resemblance? <laughs> That's my brother. And so the nurse leaves, and they have a talk. And, and Julia says, I should have been with you. And, and Gary says, no. If you'd have been with me, you'd be in the bed next to me. And then there's a moment of vulnerability where Gary looks at Julius and says, you know, when I first met you, I was afraid of you. But I understand now that I didn't have anything to be afraid of because the only thing that I was hating was my brother. And then Julius looked at Gary and he said, you know what, one day we're going to move into the same neighborhood. And we're going to get old and we're going to get fat. And there won't be any more white and black for the rest of our lives. Now that's a beautiful dream, isn't it? Reminds you of a dream of another dreamer by the name of Martin Luther King Jr., where he said, I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King Jr. looked forward to a better day. But he wasn't alone in that quest. Jesus looked forward to that day too. But here's the difference between Martin Luther King Jr. and Jesus. Jesus is going to make sure it happens. The Bible says... In Revelation chapter 7, he said, I saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One day we will sit at the great banquet table of God and every tribe, every language, every nation, every color of skin will be represented around that table. And I look forward to that day. How about you? So we got racial prejudice that's still here. It's not surprising, sinful man is still here. Let me give you another one. Spiritual prejudice. Now this one raises its head in one of two different ways. 
Now, some of you are expressive in your worship, right? So you come in and you raise holy hands to the Lord and you shout and you praise the Lord and it can be loud, right? And so what happens sometimes is that there'll be somebody near you who's never been around someone doing this. And this is biblical to do, to raise holy hands, to sing your praises to the Lord, to be emotional in the worship experience. It's okay to do that. But some of you are like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not my personality. That's not my style, right? You just stand there. And so what do you do? You see somebody down your row, and they're waving their hands in the air like they just don't care, right? That's what they're doing. And they're praising the Lord, and tears are, and you're like, woo, cuckoo, 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 right? And some of you are more expressive in your worship. You see someone in the corner of your eye that's standing there, not really participating in the worship portion of the service. They're not singing any songs. And what do you think? You think, well, I'll pray for that one. Because they probably don't get it. You know, they're probably not a Christian yet. That's what you think. You see, we can even be arrogant about the way in which we worship, and we can judge each other as we're worshiping our Lord and Savior. Let me tell you another way spiritual prejudice raises its ugly head is when we judge somebody else for the sin that they have while we ignore our own. Isn't that something about Christians? We hear that somebody else made a bad turn. They went the wrong direction. They did the wrong thing, and then we want to look down upon them for that. When in reality, yet by the grace of God, there goes you. No, we're big about looking at the sin of somebody else and putting them in their place and making them feel worse while we ignore the sin that's in ourselves. There was a woman, and uh, she had a pretty seedy past. She uh, went to this church, and she gave her life over to Jesus Christ. Part of her past was she was a prostitute. She was involved with uh, drugs and alcohol. But for some reason, she came to this church, and those people really loved her. They cared for her. And she found Jesus. The Holy Spirit now lived inside of her. And she was a brand-new creation. The old was gone. The new had come. And and she had been there for several years. And and she was a beautiful girl. And she was now serving in the the kids' ministry. And everybody loved her. Well, she was a beautiful woman. And so guess what? The pastor's son kind of noticed her. And so he asked her out on a date. And so people began to question whether that was a good idea. That a woman with that kind of past and that kind of reputation, was she good enough for the pastor's son? Well, the gossip and the rumors continued to spread. Well, they didn't seem to care. They fell more and more in love with each other. And one day the pastor's son asked her to marry him, and she said yes. Oh, this caused quite a stir in that little church. They had this thing called a monthly business meeting. You have monthly business meetings in your church. That's a good way to kill your church, I'll tell you that right now. They had this thing called a monthly business meeting where they come and they talk about the business of the church, but they rarely get to the business of the church. They want to talk about the business of the people. And somehow the conversation went over to whether or not it was right for the pastor's son to be dating this woman with such a terrible reputation. And they began to talk about her in front of her. And she sat there on the front row, weeping. And finally, the pastor's son had had all he could take. And he went up to the platform and he grabbed the microphone. He said, what's on trial tonight is not my fiance's past. But what's on trial tonight is the blood of Jesus. Does the blood of Jesus forgive sin? Does the blood of Jesus just forgive yours? 
and not somebody else's? This favoritism, this prejudice, this I'm better than you, if you have even an inkling of this, there's two things that you need to do. The first one is this, you need to repent. Romans 2.11 says, God does not show favoritism. All we need to look at is the life of Jesus. Jesus welcomed everybody. He never rejected anybody. All were given a chance. Jesus was the one who reached out to people that nobody else reached out to. Do you, do you remember in John chapter 4, the Bible says in the original Greek, he must needs go through Samaria. It's in the imperative. He must needs go through Samaria. Why does he need to go to Samaria? Well, no self-respecting Jew would go into Samaria. Samaritans were the half-breeds. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. No self-respecting Jew. They They said these people aren't worthy of the breath that they have in their bodies. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because there's a woman there. And not just any woman. This is a woman with a reputation. She comes to the well at 12 noon. And Jesus has a conversation with her. And we find out in the story it's quite scandalous. She's been married five times. She's currently living with someone. Oh, this is terrible. What in the world would a holy person be talking to such a sinner like this? And the disciples, when they come back, they can't believe it. But Jesus loved this woman. He cared for this woman. He came for this woman to paint a picture of the plan that God had for her life that was far greater than anything she could ever dream or imagine. John chapter 7, chapter 8, Jesus is teaching. Pharisees busting the back doors. They bring in a woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her up naked. And they make her stand before everybody else to humiliate her and to shame her just a little bit more. And they say, according to the law of Moses, we're supposed to stone such a woman. My question's always been, where's the man? Well, I guess he got away. Or maybe she was set up. They don't care about this woman. She's done something despicable. She's worthy of death. Jesus stood up. He stood up for her. He said, I'll tell you what, if you've never sinned, you throw the first stone. And one by one, they all left until it was just her and Jesus. And Jesus could have cast the stone. He was perfect in every way. Yet he looked at that girl. He said, go leave your life of sin. God's got a greater plan for your life. Don't be jumping from one bed to another. Go leave it behind. Go after the dream. Go after the vision that God's placed inside of you as a little girl. Don't settle any longer for a less than kind of a life. Luke chapter 7. Jesus calls a man by the name of Levi to be one of his disciples. This sent shockwaves to the crowd. Why? Levi's a tax collector. Tax collector are the most despicable people on the face of the earth, according to the Jewish person. This was someone who had sold their soul to the Roman government and the Roman officials. They were overtaxing their people and lining their own pockets. They were despicable. They were the scum of the earth. Jesus one day said, Levi, why don't you leave that behind? Come follow me. And he left it all behind. He followed Jesus for three and a half years, and he he never returned to that tax 
collecting business ever again. In fact, Jesus changed his name from Levi to Matthew. You know him. He's the one who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the gospel of Matthew that you've studied for the past few years of your life. You see, God never throws anybody away. And so if you're looking around at somebody and you're prejudging them, you're turning your nose at them, you're thinking you're better than someone else, you need to repent of that because that's nothing that Jesus ever did. And our behavior is supposed to reflect Jesus. The second thing is this. We need to start living in the realization that every person we lock eyes with matters to God and they should matter to us as well. Jesus loves the prisoner, the prostitute, the pastor, and the porn star. There's never been anybody you've ever locked eyes with that Jesus didn't die for that person. Jesus didn't rise again for that person. Look at verse 5. James writes, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? James says, listen, sometimes the poorest person among us is the richest in faith in God's eyes. He goes on to say, if you really kept the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. The royal law is about loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And again, isn't Jesus our example? They crucified Jesus. They hung him between two thieves, one to the left and one to the right. And both thieves, when they got on those crosses, they both cursed Jesus. If you're the son of God, save us. They hurled down their accusations at him. But over the course of those six hours one Friday, something, something happened. One of the thieves said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said this, today you'll be with me in paradise. What does that mean? I still love you, and you still matter to me, and you've always mattered to me. From the moment you breathe your very first breath, regardless of any bad choice or any bad decision, any bad habit that you've got, I still love you, and I'm still for you, and I will never give up on you. And if you'll repent of your sin, if you'll turn from your sin, well, one day you'll walk on streets of gold, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done for you. Jesus never saw a lost cause. Every person was valuable. In his mind, every person was worth laying his life down for. And friends, we're supposed to be just like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Is there anything in us that's not pleasing to you? Do we prejudge? Is there hatred inside of us? Do we treat people differently based upon the color of their skin or their financial portfolio or whether we think they're good looking or not? Do we have spiritual arrogance that lives inside of us? 
do we love others the way you've loved us? Lord, reveal to us the darkness that's in us. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be like you. So Lord, if there's any evil way within us, may we repent right now. May we turn away from what we've been doing and what we've been thinking. And may we take the same love that you've given us and may we extend that on to others. And may people know that we are followers of yours by the way that we love one another. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.